If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians. Would you believe that while basically everybody says the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, the later schools of criticism say, but he didn't write 2 Thessalonians. Really? What does 2 Thessalonians begin with? Paul. And it ends with, see, I signed it with my own hand. But you know these schools of higher criticism, they got to find something to complain about. But we're not going to do that. We're going to jump into 2 Thessalonians and say, without serious threat of contradiction, the yeah, it was written by Paul. And it was written a few months after 1 Thessalonians. How many of you realize that Paul was really well educated? He learned at the feet of Gamaliel, the grandson of Hillel himself. He was really well educated. And the Thessalonians had had three weeks of Bible study with Paul. So when Paul wrote that letter of 1 Thessalonians and sent it off, do you think they had trouble understanding it? Yep, they had trouble understanding it. So Paul's primary reason for writing 2 Thessalonians was to say, really, you didn't understand what I wrote in my letter? Let me explain it to you in smaller words. It was written when Paul was in Corinth. Acts 18.5 puts Paul, Silas, and Timothy in Corinth when the letter was written in the late 51 AD or common era, whichever term you prefer, or early 52. And it was to correct misunderstandings. There were people who read that letter, they quit their jobs, they sold the farm, they went and sat on the mountaintops waiting for the Lord to come take us home. Because they did like so many modern theologians and said, hey, hey, it says, we who are alive. So Paul says it's going to be in our lifetime. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, sorry to disappoint you, but that's not what it meant. It meant there will be believers, that the church of God, the believers in Messiah, would never cease. Where do we first read that in the scripture? How about Matthew 16? Think back to Matthew 16 and close your eyes. And think of Stone Mountain, Georgia, but put it in the north of Israel. In that great stone mountain in the north of Israel, there's a cave called the Gates of Hell. It's at Caesarea Philippi in a place called Banyas. It's called Banyas because the Arabic peoples can't pronounce the P is in Panyas, which is what it originally was called. It was dedicated to the pagan god Pan. And it's in front of that stone mountain that Messiah asked the disciples, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that's where Messiah gives Peter the name Peter, which means a tiny pebble. Here's a tiny pebble demonstrating the faith in God in front of this huge stone mountain. Huge stone mountain represents the kingdom of Satan, what he's had 4,000 years to do up to that point. And Messiah has a little pebble. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is, if you were a betting person and you saw a BB 
next to Stone Mountain, Georgia, which would you think would be bigger? You'd bet on Stone Mountain, but you'd be wrong. That little tiny pebble would grow into a mountain to eclipse that kingdom that Satan had built. And that brings us to 2 Thessalonians somehow. So let's read it. Verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Silvanus is Silas. Don't let that confuse you. Um, none of the names that they give us in English are what the names really were. What is Paul, if you read the Greek? Paulus. And Timothy, Timotheus. So Silvanus, they just all kind of end with an us like that. End with an S. So it was actually Silas. To the church of the Thessalonians. Thessaloniki is in Greece. It's a pagan place full of pagan temples, pagan worship. Named after the sister of Alexander the Great. And a place where Paul, Silas, and Timothy spent a few weeks preaching the gospel message. People got saved. And then Paul had to move on. And those that had the three weeks of great instruction are now left to figure out the rest on their own. Paul had a sneaking suspicion they needed some help, so he actually sent Timothy and Silas to him for a while to help build them back up. And now they've rejoined Paul, and now Paul's hearing that, you know what, they're going off the rails again. How many of you, three weeks after you first heard the gospel, were ready to lead a congregation? Now, so you can understand how they could go off the rail. But it says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. I want you to look at the words, Lord Yeshua and the Messiah. Or as it says here in English, Lord Jesus Christ. How many English majors do we have out there? Hey, we have one. So, of those three words, which are nouns and which are adjectives, would you think as you read it? Okay, Lord, Yeshua, Messiah. Uh-huh. Um, Yeshua, Messiah, I would say are nouns. Yeshua, Messiah, you say are nouns. And I would say that Lord, in this sense, is a title, and that could be Okay. If we look at them, they are all three nouns, just as you suspected. So when people say Lord Jesus Christ, they think of it as a name. Kind of like the son of Joseph and Mary Christ from Bethlehem Street. And that's not what it is. When it says the Lord, that is the Lord as in from Genesis to Malachi. The Lord is all over the scripture. In fact, that's a more common term for God than the word God. So it's trying to tell us that Yeshua is not just a man. He's not just flesh and blood, but he is God from the beginning. As we read in John 1, 1, everybody together says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But so many people think the word Lord there is just an adjective, but it's not. It's describing who he is in the greater scheme of things. And Yeshua, the name means salvation, the angel told his mother, you shall call his name salvation, for he shall save his people from their sins. So what is the word Messiah? The anointed one. There were many anointed ones in the scripture. Every prophet, priest, and king were anointed. But they were a Messiah. He is the Messiah. What is the difference? 
They were all prophet, priests, and kings supposed to teach us about Messiah, exercising a part of the authority that belongs to Messiah. The kings were ruling. The priests were leading people to God. The prophets were telling the future and how we need to repent to come into a right relationship with God. So this is to combine it all and say, God our Father and the Lord, they are one. Where does Messiah say, I and my Father are one? John chapter 10. And he is the Lord. He is the salvation. He is the Messiah, the anointed one that was promised way back in what chapter of Genesis? Three. Let's go to John 14, verse 1. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. What does that mean? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. You believe in God. Believe also in me. How could a man, if he was just a man of flesh and blood, with two human parents, say, believe in me as you would believe in God? He couldn't, could he? He has to be God to make a statement like that. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. If you missed last night's teaching, we did a lot of talk about who the Lord of hosts truly is. Revelation 14 verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. The word saints is hagios in Greek. It means the holy ones. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. Why is it not just enough to keep the commandments of God? Because keeping commandments can't save you. Wasn't it meant as a way of salvation? No, but that's what Galatians 3 is telling us. It was never a way of salvation. Salvation was always by what? By faith. And what were the commandments? Messiah said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he said, and the words that you hear are not mine, but the fathers who sent me, saying, these are the words of God. So how do we demonstrate that our faith is real? Through our actions, our obedience. Okay, excellent. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians verse 2. Grace to you in peace. Grace is a Greek greeting. Peace is a Hebrew greeting. So is Paul writing to Jews or Gentiles? Answers yes. The letters were to be sent around to all the churches to be read by all the believers. So the message is not exclusively to one group or the other. Because what happens when we get saved by faith? Does it then matter whether we began as a Jew or a Gentile? They're grafted in, so it makes no difference whatsoever. Give me a scripture that we're grafted in. Go to Ephesians 2. It tells us who we're grafted into and how. 
The how is in verse 13, but now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. What's the both? The Jew and the Gentile. One means once you get saved, there's no longer a distinction. How many of you out there are a Jew? Doesn't matter. How many of you out there are a Gentile? Doesn't matter. How many of you out there are saved by faith? That's what matters. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, verse 15 says, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. What's that Greek word for ordinances? Dogma. The commandments of God were not abolished. The man-made rules and regulations that separated people that wouldn't let the Jews and Gentiles come together. That's what was abolished. So it's created himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You were strangers from what, according to verse 12? From the covenants of promise. Which ones? All of them. You're no longer strangers. You're now participants. And you were foreigners. Foreigners from what? Foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel. But now you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Okay. Back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. People are still turning back. Let me pause for a moment, take a breath, then go on to verse 3. Verse 3, we are bound. What's it mean we're bound? We're obligated. We're obligated to thank God always for you, brethren. Whenever somebody gets saved, comes to God by faith, we are obliged to give God thanks and praise for one more who will not taste eternal death and the horrors of the lake of fire. It says, as it is fitting, that's what all believers should do. Do you know the angels in heaven rejoice when even one person gets saved? And here's Paul, Silas, and Timothy saying, look at all of you who are idol worshipers, who are headed to eternal death, and now have turned away and embraced the true and living God and have come to eternal life. Because your faith grows exceedingly. How can faith grow? Trials, tribulations. Trials, tribulations. The more we experience God's blessing and his wonders, the deeper our faith grows. Absolutely true. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Let's go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he, Yeshua, had answered them well, asked him, 
which is the first commandment of all. What does that mean, the first commandment? Does that mean the first in order? The greatest, the most important. Yeshua answered him, the first of all the commandments is Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How can that be the most important commandment? It's not even in the Ten Commandments. Oh, all the commandments are about love. Hmm. In this verse, the word here, Shema, is that a suggestion? It's a commandment. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, meaning how many gods are there? There's only one. If there's only one God, who's he the God of? Everybody, all peoples, meaning Jew and Gentile alike. There is no other God. So that's the first place we begin to see, wait a minute. If God is the God of all people, then all people should be worshiping God and being obedient to God. Because in God's eyes, we're not different. Verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. But if we read it from an English perspective, we don't get the full meaning. The word love in English is an emotion, a gooey, warm feeling you have for somebody. That's not what the Hebrew word love is. The word love, ahav in Hebrew, is an action verb. It's how do we treat people? Do you treat your neighbor as you would want to be treated? That's showing love to your neighbor. Are you stealing from your neighbor? That's not showing love. That's not treating them the way you want to be treated. So love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's not the thing pumping blood. It means what, what are your intentions? What is your desire? What do you want to do? Do you want to serve God? That's loving God with all your heart. With all your soul, that means with your very life. What if somebody in... Um, some particular nondescript garb comes up behind you and puts a sword to your throat and says, renounce God or die. To love the Lord with all your soul is to say, then I die. I will not renounce the Lord my God. With all your mind, every thought of the mind should be, how can I please God? Not, what can I get away with today that God might not catch? Or find out about. And with all your strength, that is with all that you have, all the abundance of life. Are your treasures on earth or are your treasures in heaven? Because where your treasures are, what? That's where your heart will be. That's the first commandment. If your life is dedicated to treating God as God, then which commandments would you break? None. Verse 31, the second like it is this. This is why we came here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't mean you go over and have a kissy party. It means treat them 
with love, compassion, respect. Treat them as you would want to be treated. Consider their needs. If they're hungry, do you say, gee, I hope you find some food this afternoon? No, that's not showing love. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're naked, clothe them. That's what the scripture is all about. And Messiah says, there's no other commandment greater than these. And by the way, that one's not in the Ten Commandments either. But these are the greatest of the commandments. So when people say, there's only Ten Commandments, you can say, no, we can be sure that's not so. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Verse 35. This is why we came to search out what 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3 is about. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you are a disciple, a student of the Lord our God, will you hate a fellow brother? No. But, but what if they're not the same color skin as me? What if they don't have the same ethnic background that I have? What if that's a girl and I'm a boy? It does not matter. If we are one in Messiah, then we should love each other. We should support each other. We should be a family. We should be a community. We should serve God together. Yes, sir. Uh, verse 34. Verse 34, a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Uh, so is that kind of saying that you serve one another? Because love is an action and you, you serve one another, you help one another. Yeah. Uh, you know, in other places it says, Captain count the other person is better than you yeah. uh, and to uh, before that it was like you know you provide for yourself you, you, you help other people when you can but now the new commandment says put others before you yeah but careful how you read that word new it's not neos okay, not it's kainos it's renewed it's renewed. why don't you really think about doing it for a change okay it's not that it's brand new. It's that you haven't been doing it. Why don't you think about giving it okay, a try? What's, what's that word you say? Kainos. K-A-I-N-O-S. Instead of neos, N-E-O-S. Neos means brand new. Kainos means refreshed. So where does the scripture say, love your neighbor as yourself? That's all the way back in Leviticus yeah, chapter yeah, 19. All, yeah, all but the disciples weren't doing it. And in Paul's day, in Ephesians 2, what he's saying is the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers are looking down on each other. That's not right. We are one. 1 John chapter 5. Because it's so important to love God, 1 John chapter 5 tells us how we do that. How do we treat God as he should be and deserves to be treated? 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Oh, I got five chats out here. I've been looking away. Okay. Okay. Other people answer the questions. Okay. 
1 John 5 verses 2 and 3 answers the question, how do we love God? Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God, that is other believers, when we love God and keep his commandments. Well, that's kind of like going around the tree. To love the children of God, we need to love God. What does that mean? Verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So if God said, thou shalt not commit adultery, and we commit adultery, are we showing our love to God? No. If God said, thou shalt not commit murder, and we murder, are we showing our love to God? No. How many of you have children? Were you happiest with, with your children when they did what you asked them to do? Or when they said, no, you can't make me. <laughs> I can see the blood pressure rising in some of your faces. You've been there. I got it. Okay. Back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If we tie it back to Matthew 7. You have a whole group of people that say, God, I love you, but I'm going to do it my way. That's exactly what Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23 is saying. God, I love you, but I'm going to do it my way, and you're just going to have to like it. So, I mean, so if we tie it back to that example with parents, I mean, if a parent says, do this, no, Papa, I love you, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it this way. Yep, that's <laughs> when you pull out the woodshed, isn't it? You still, you still pull the bell off. Yeah. Yeah. Verses 21 to 23. Let's go look at them. Pretty soon y'all will have these memorized too. But if not yet, let's look again. Because the words are read, and I love words that are read. They came right out of the Lord's mouth. Matthew chapter 7 is looking at judgment day. And it's only talking about people who think they are believers, who think they're saved. And verses 13 and 14 say most of those who think they're saved are not. They're actually on the way to the lake of fire. Those that are actually on the way to eternal life, that's a very narrow road. It says in there a few, find it. And verses 21 to 23 explain the result of the teachings of the false teachers, which is about verses 15 to 20. Verse 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. What does the word Lord mean? It means master, the one I serve, the one I obey. Have we not prophesied in your name? Where in the scripture did God command us to prophesy in his name? Nowhere. Nowhere. Cast out demons in your name. Where did he command us to cast out demons in his name? Nowhere. And done many wonders in your name. Where did he command that? He didn't. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness, in Greek, anomia, that which is contrary to the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. So he said, instead of keeping your commandments, Lord, we're going to do things our way, and you're just going to have to like it. Which ignores Deuteronomy chapter 12. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 12. Verse 32. Deuteronomy 12, verse 32. 
Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Did God command us to do what he wanted us to do? So when we say, yeah, 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 but I don't want to do that. Let me do this instead. For instance, God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In the 4th century, the Catholic Church said, no, don't you dare keep the Sabbath. Instead, do Sunday. Where did the church say that? That's in the Council of Laodicea, Canon 29. So they turned away from God's commandment, said, don't do that. In fact, they would put you to death if you kept the Sabbath and instead commanded Sunday worship. And what do most people today do? Do they obey God or man? In Romans 6.16, 6, the one you obey, that's the one that you serve. So let's go back to... We'll actually go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. So that, in other words, they're demonstrating their love toward each other, and that makes Paul, Silas, and Timothy proud of them. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Persecutions and tribulations. What do, what do those words mean? The hardships. Are there families and friends saying good for you for believing in this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Or are they saying you fools? How could you turn away from these pagan idols that are right here that we can touch, that we can kiss, that we can bring offerings to in these huge, huge temples that we have built to them and turn away to a God you can't even see? But he says, they are being patient, which means what? Steadfast and unmovable. And they have faith. That is, they continue to say. You said you can get them for 80. Your time is worth more than anything. We have people that are unmuted, I think, by mistake. So I'm going to mute them back. Um, Sam Casaza asks, it was the Council of Laodicea, Canon 29. Oh, Rachel already answered. I should read the next one before I answer the first one. Okay. So patience and faith. Faith. Imunah. Imunah comes from what Hebrew verb? Ha'amin, or in its most raw state, aman, which means I agree with what God said. He said it. I believe. What's that? Emunah. E-M-U-N-A-H. Emunah. Emunah. That's one of the words you've been working on. You recognize it now, don't you, now that I spelled it. Yep. Patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Emunah. 
If any of you think the Lord promised that a walk in faith before God would be easy and accepted by the world, you're not reading the same book I am. If you're accepted by the world, you need to check your walk because you're walking wrong. That's right. The scripture says the world's going to hate you. Go to Matthew 13, 21. We're going to back up to verse 18 so we understand what verse 21 is talking about. It's the parable of the sower. Verse 18 says, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, that's the gospel message, that the kingdom of God is coming. Messiah is the king. He's the one who died for us, was buried on the third day, raised again that we might have eternal life, and does not understand it. Then the wicked one, who's the wicked one? Satan. Comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, Immediately he stumbles. This is what Paul is saying. You didn't stumble. They threw the rocks at you. They laughed at you. They mocked you. They ridiculed you. They refused to let you come to Sunday dinner anymore. And you had to decide, will I renounce my faith and go back and be accepted by the world? Or will I stand fast? And Paul says, you Thessalonians, you stood fast. Even in the face of persecution. Go to John 16, where the same word is used, but it's translated a little differently. John 16, verse 21. Let's see, two more chats out there. Let's see. Okay. John 16, verse 21. John 16, verse 21. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. That word anguish is the same one as the word tribulations over in 2 Thessalonians. How many women enjoy the pains of childbirth? None. Nor do we enjoy the tribulations and persecutions of the world because of our faith. What this verse is saying, yes, but if you endure, if you maintain your faith, if you refuse to be moved, what is the outcome but life eternal? Going to like eternal life? Going to like eternal life. John 16, verse 33. You've heard the song, I never promised you a rose garden. I think it comes from this verse. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Did Messiah promise us a tribulation-free life? No, he did not. In fact, he told us you're going to have tribulation. 
Have any of you out there experienced tribulation from family or friends? Anybody been told you're in a cult? Nope. <laughs> yep. Acts chapter 7. Messiah said, if they persecute you, don't worry, they persecuted me first. Acts 7.11. That's not where the store got its name, I'm sure. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. That word trouble is that same word affliction. They were hungry. There was no food. That's affliction. Is affliction easy? No. Is it enjoyable? No. Is it inevitable? Yes, if you stay true to the Lord and keep your faith. So back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Verse 5 should be a real comfort. Which is manifest evidence. What's manifest mean? Brought to light, obvious, right? To be seen. Manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. The manifest evidence is when you withstand the persecutions and tribulations and afflictions, you stand true in your faith, you abide in the vine, you refuse to renounce the Lord, you refuse to walk away. Paul says that's manifest evidence that God's judgment is righteous and that you are worthy of the kingdom of God. As opposed to what about if you turn away from your faith? And say, ah, you're right. Let's go over to the temple of Zeus and we'll just go eat a pig and we'll, we'll just have a good time together. I'm sorry. What was I thinking? The latter end will be worse than the first. Is that not what the scripture says? It really is. So verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Meaning those who are trying to turn you away from God, they're going to come under God's judgment. Do we need to fight back? No. Vengeance belongs to who? Lord. The Lord. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Would you believe that's in the Bible? Vengeance is mine? Yep, it sure is. Deuteronomy 32, people are still turning pages. Verse 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Therefore it shall slip when? In due time. So they may not get theirs today, but what happens come judgment day? When they stand before God and he asks, you tried to turn people away from me. Why did you do that? They might be a little smoky. Yeah. That was Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. 
Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. Another way of saying that is, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Romans twelve nineteen. Romans twelve nineteen. Romans twelve nineteen. Romans twelve nineteen. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, which means what? Forgive. If you will not forgive others, comma, you will not be forgiven either. So give place to wrath. Let it go. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. And then to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. Has anybody ever done you wrong? Let it go. Let it go. Forgive it. Have you ever wronged the Lord? You want him to let it go and forgive it, don't you? Yeah. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. Which says, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Which means, if you're taking vengeance on others, what happens when you stand before God in judgment one day? Hmm. Food for thought. So let's go back to verse 7 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Wayne? Yes, ma'am. If this is too big of a... Um, <coughs> I don't want to do that, but what are the different ways that we could take vengeance? Or What are the different ways we could take vengeance? Aren't there a lot of different ways that a human would do that? Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed a neighbor comes down and knocks down my mailbox because he doesn't like me. Do I go knock down his mailbox? It could be oh. a simple thing as a cold shoulder. If somebody calls me dirty names, do I call them dirty names? No, those are ways of taking vengeance. Strike back. Lord says, nah, feed your enemy. Make them warm. Make them comfortable. If, yeah. Verse 7, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Yeshua is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Oh, this is something that's really cool. See that word rest. This is the only place that particular Greek word is used in the scripture. Hmm. Doesn't matter. But it's referring to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9. It's the rest that is coming 
for the believers. And that's what I want us to do is go to Hebrews 4.9 where there's a synonym used and it's only used once in the Bible. Hebrews 4.9 There remains therefore a rest that is the Greek word sabbatismos and it means and only means a Sabbath rest. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That is the same rest being referred to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7. And to give you who are troubled, that is, who have been afflicted and stayed fast in your faith, did not waver, did not turn away, that Sabbath rest with us, when the Lord Yeshua is revealed from heaven, which means when Messiah comes in his kingdom. That's the Sabbath rest that Hebrews 4.9 is referring to. And it's the rest that's being referred to here. Now go back to Hebrews 4.9 for a moment. Yeah, why didn't I tell you to keep a finger there? I forgot, sorry. You can take vengeance if you want. No, you can't. You've got to forgive. Okay. Hebrews 4.11 Because verse 9 said, There was therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Why didn't the translators put in a Sabbath rest, do you think? We can only speculate. But verse 11 says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Be diligent to enter into the Messianic kingdom. The kingdom of peace, love, and harmony where Messiah will rule and reign here on earth and there will be no war. There'll be no murder. Even the animals won't be hurting people. The children can play with the poisonous snakes. How many of you would let your kids play with poisonous snakes today? If so, you're a bad parent. Come talk to me later. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fail, fall, According to the same example of disobedience. Oh my. What does that verse say? That if you turn away from God's commandments and walk in sin. Are you going to enter that rest? No. Is it the same as Isaiah 56? Let's go back to Isaiah 56. We looked at Isaiah 56 last night. And a hundred times before that. But Isaiah 56 says the same thing as Hebrews 4.11. Also the sons of the foreigner. The word foreigner means a non-Israelite. Isaiah 56 verse 6. Also the sons of the foreigner, the word foreigner is Nakar, somebody born outside the land of Israel, not associated with the God of Israel, who join themselves to the Lord to serve him, that is, they turn their backs on pagan idolatry and come to serve the true and living God. To love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. How do you love the name of the Lord? First John chapter 5, verse 3, keep his commandments. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast to my covenant 
Even them I'll bring to my holy mountain. What's a mountain in prophecy? A kingdom. So this says, if you're keeping the commandments of God because of your faith and love for God, you're on the way to the kingdom. If you will not keep the Sabbath, which is the sign, according to Exodus 32, that you worship the true and living God, you're not on the path. Is that what it says? That's what it says. Let's go back to Exodus 32. I keep referring to it, but we haven't turned back to it in a while. It's Exodus 31, verse 12. Good thing we turned to it, huh? 31. And as we read it, I want you to remember Ephesians 2, that those who are from the Gentile world, who are saved by faith in Messiah, are grafted into what? The commonwealth of Israel, otherwise known as the children of Israel. So Exodus 31, verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, what's that word saying? A quote, which means it came out of the lips of God. What do we know about words that came out of the lips of God? Proverbs and Psalms and John and all those books tell us that God will not change a word that came out of his lips. Speak also to the children of Israel. That's the commonwealth of Israel. Saying, surely my Sabbath you shall keep. Does it say, surely any Sabbath you might pick out of the week? Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign. The word sign is oat. It's like the wedding ring. Girls, what does this wedding ring tell you? Am I available? I am not. I am taken. It's a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And verse 14 contains the word therefore. What does the word therefore mean? Because what's it there for? What did I just say? Let's draw an application. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Holy means set apart unto God. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done. It shouldn't be shall. That should be may be done. Work may be done for six days, but the seventh. The seventh is not the same as a seventh. A seventh is pick one. The seventh is God picked it. The seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. It's holy to whom? The to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Does it sound like God doesn't care about the Sabbath? He cares a lot, right? Verse 16, therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. What's that word perpetual mean? Forever. Forever, never ending. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. And this is where the Christian theologians say, see, see, it's only for Israel. It's only for the Jews. Is that what the phrase the children of Israel means? Or was there a great mixed multitude that came out of Egypt? That's part of the children of Israel. There certainly is. And it's a sign for how long? Forever. Forever. So Isaiah 56 says, The Gentile nation, if they want to come into the Messianic kingdom and take part in that Sabbath of rest, 
will not desecrate the Sabbath. So why do you think in the 4th century at the Council of Laodicea in Canon 29, the Pope said, no, no, no. You're forbidden to keep the Sabbath. You must do Sunday instead. They want the wedding ring to point to the Pope, not to God. Mm -mm. Zechariah chapter 14. Yeah. Right. The seal of the Vatican, he says, is the two keys representing the binding and loosening, and therefore you must obey us. You must listen to us. How many people grew up thinking that when you die, you have to meet Saint Peter at the gates of heaven, and he decides if you come in or not? I grew up thinking that it was in all the cartoons. Yeah. If you take your th- yeah, okay. You got me there. Back to Zechariah. He said, yeah, if you take your theology from Bugs Bunny. (laughs) So Zechariah, chapter 14. Zechariah 14 is about the return of the Lord. I like chapters about the return of the Lord. The nations of the world are going to come against Jerusalem and the Jewish people because they don't want Messiah to return and rule and reign. We know that from Psalm 2. Is God sitting up in heaven shaking in his boots that Satan might defeat me? Oh no. Zechariah 14 verse 3. In fact, let me read verses 1 and 2 to set up the context in case you've never seen it. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is a thousand-year period that begins with the rapture and the resurrection, then the seven-year tribulation period, then the millennial reign on earth, and ends with the new heavens and the new earth. How can a day be a thousand years? A day is the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. Psalm 90, verse 4, 2 Peter 3, 8. Yep. I've seen dozens if not hundreds of theologians try and figure out which 24-hour day this is talking about. It's not talking about a 24-hour day. It's a thousand-year period. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Which nations? All the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. I hate that when I read that, because what's the United States pushing Israel to do to give away half the city and half the land? Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. What's he doing? He is bringing the vengeance. He is... Coming to defend the children of Israel. But he said he won't do that until they cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When do they do that? During the tribulation when Romans 11.26 is fulfilled and all Israel shall be saved. It happens at the battle of Gog and Magog. In his return, if you've never seen us in Revelation 19.11 in great detail. Revelation 
This is at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. It's time for the Battle of Armageddon. The day is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The day that the Shofar Haggadol, the great trumpet, sounds. I'm still hearing pages. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. That's not the first white horse we've seen in Revelation. We saw one in chapter 6. But in chapter 6, who rode the white horse? The false messiah. This time it's the true messiah. And he who sat on him is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. What does fire picture in prophecy? Judgment. On his head were many crowns. Where does he get those crowns? Who cast them at his feet? We did, the raptured and resurrected believers. He had a name written that no one knew except himself, so please don't write me and say what is the name, because I don't know. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Talking about the tallit. When a Jewish man of his day was crucified, this was the face cloth that was wrapped around his head at his burial. The head wounds bleed profusely. So he's coming with the blood that he shed for us at Calvary. And his name is called the Word of God. Oh, in case we didn't get it. John 1.1, 1, 1, yeah. And the armies in heaven. In the Old Testament, we would have said, and the hosts of heaven. Adonai Zavaot, the Lord of hosts. These are the hosts, the armies of heaven. That's you and I. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's the righteous acts of the saints. Followed them on white horses. So when somebody asks you, are there animals in heaven? You can say with confidence, there are at least white horses. The rest we'll have to see. And it goes on to talk about how he defeats the false messiah, the false prophet, and all the armies of the earth. Back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're up to verse 8. Verse 8. When the Lord Yeshua is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, that's verse 7. We just read about that in Revelation 19 and in Zechariah chapter 14. In flaming fire. Ooh, fire, judgment. Taking vengeance on those who what? Do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Boy, if that's not a verse full of meaning. First of all, who do not know God. What does it mean to know God? That's John 17.3. John 17.3. What does it mean to know God? John 17 verse 3. And this is what? Eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Yeshua the Messiah whom you have sent. To have eternal life you must what? Know God. 
Wouldn't it be nice if the Bible gave us a test of whether we know God or not? He, it does. That's 1 John chapter 2. Or you could do like so many theologians and run off and grab the Oxford New English Dictionary and look up the word. But 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Now by this we know that we know him. Or plug in from John 17, 3. Now by this we know that we have eternal life. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. People get mad at me and I get all kinds of nasty emails whenever we read over these verses because they say, that's not true. Everybody sitting in a church pew around the world is saved. We know it. Where's that in the scripture? Shut up. Don't want to talk about it. Okay. We've got to talk about it because this is the word of God, is it not? To say that, as so many preachers have said on YouTube, these verses are just wrong. They tell you this is the word of God. It's inerrant, infallible, but these, these verses are wrong. That's a little inconsistent. I say the Bible is correct. And God said what he said and meant what he said. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. But if you're doing what so many of them do, and discard the Old Testament... You can't understand the New Testament because most of it's quotes from the Old Testament. Right. And so that's where you have to make up new doctrine. Yeah. So that's where you make up new doctrine. You have to make it say something, right? So you make up something. That was the problem with the Catholic Church councils. They invited all the bishops from around the world unless they were born Jewish. If they were born Jewish, they couldn't come. So they didn't have anybody who knew the customs or the language. And if you start interpret, interpreting the Bible without knowing the customs and the language, you can get all kinds of confused. <laughs> Matthew chapter 4. I know you guys are thinking, he's going to go to verse 4. I wasn't, but since you said it, I will. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Messiah said, which of the Old Testament that God spoke shall we discard? None of it. But actually I wanted to come to verse 28. 23. 23. I actually want a verse that's in the chapter. Uh-huh. And Yeshua went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You're going to see that phrase all over the New Testament. People say the gospel is that Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected on the third day. He can't be preaching it when he's still alive. The gospel of the kingdom is that there is a kingdom of heaven coming, a kingdom of God, a messianic kingdom, a Sabbath rest on this earth. And that we who are sinful can become a member of and a part of that through faith in God, our loving God that leads us to walk in his ways. 
and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Go to Matthew 9. Verse 35. Matthew 9, verse 35. Then Yeshua went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What was he preaching? The gospel of the kingdom. Do you want eternal life? Do you want to be part of that Sabbath rest that is yet to come? What did Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11 tell us? Don't become disqualified through disobedience. What does disobedience mean to God? Go to Hebrews chapter 3. means what? You don't trust him. That you don't trust him. That you don't have faith. That's exactly right. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 17 through 19. Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? Whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Who sinned, who did not obey, they mean the same thing. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Is that a pistia? Is that the Greek word you taught us, apistia? So why did they not obey? Because they did not believe. They did not have faith. It's a lack of faith that causes one to disobey, according to the word of God. Brother Wayne? Yes, ma'am. Hebrews 4, 2 says that the gospel was preached to them in the wilderness. Yep, Hebrews 4.2 says the gospel was preached to them in the wilderness just as it was to us. So were they preaching the death, burial, and resurrection in the wilderness? No. They were preaching the gospel of the kingdom. How do we enter into that kingdom? By faith. We believe in Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and he took that death penalty upon himself for us. Does that mean then we can go walk in sin? What does Romans 6.1 say? What then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2 says, God forbid. No way, Jose. However you want to put it. Back to Matthew. Back to Matthew. Verse 24. Matthew 24 is chapter 24. Yep. Matthew 24, verses 14. 
Wait till you get this old. <laughs> Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. What end? The goal. The word there in Greek is telos, is the goal. But notice, this is Matthew 24. This is about the day of the Lord. And what are they still preaching? The gospel of the kingdom. It doesn't tell us what the gospel of the kingdom is in this verse. But go to chapter 28, verse 18. And Yeshua came and spoke to them, saying, what's that word saying? means it's a quote. These words came out of Yeshua's own lips. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That means he is coming to rule and reign in the messianic kingdom from the temple mount on earth. The gospel of the kingdom, he's coming to rule and reign. Go therefore and make disciples. What's the word disciple mean? A student. What does a student do? Studies, at least in the old days they did. I'm not sure what they do today. Of all the nations, what's the word nations mean? Then all the non-Jewish peoples, the Gentiles. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. So you are the teacher teaching the disciple to observe all things that I have commanded you. Why? Why teach them to keep the commandments of God? Because what does it mean to know God? To know God is to have eternal life. How do we know if we know God or not? Do we keep his commandments? Keeping the commandments is how we show our love to him. Give me two verses. John 14, 15, and 1 John 5, 2 and 3. Right? Are there others? Yes, there's others, but I just said pick two. Deuteronomy slam full, 2nd John, 3rd John. If there was a 4th John, even he'd be talking about it. Mark chapter 1. The significance of the theme being all the way through the scriptures is? Especially Deuteronomy. Especially Deuteronomy. I mean, that's Old Testament. You know, that's in the Old Testament? Then why does Messiah quote it all the time? He wants to, for people to understand that if you love me, you need to keep my commandments, and that's the way it's always been, right? That's not something new. Because how many times throughout Deuteronomy is circumcision of the heart? How many times throughout Deuteronomy does it teach circumcision of the heart over and over again? Because you love him. Circumcision of the heart is being obedient to the commandments of God. Why? Because we love him. Because we have faith in him. You can't love a God you don't believe in. And you can't believe in God and not love him. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It starts in the middle of a sentence, so we'll start in verse 14 for context. After John was put in prison, which John is this? 
John the Baptist. He's only six months older than Yeshua. After John was put in prison, Yeshua came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Oh my goodness. What does it say here? The gospel of the kingdom includes what? Repentance. What does it mean to repent? Stop sinning. What is sin? 1 John 3, 4. Lawlessness. Breaking the commandments of God. How many people say the Bible never tells us to stop sinning? Oh, yes, it does. How many times? Bunches. Bunches. Mark 16. Mark 16. Verse 15. Verse 15 is the parallel passage in Mark to Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission. And here's how Mark phrases it. He, meaning Yeshua, said to them, the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What is the parallel passage in Matthew 28, 18? teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. The gospel includes repentance. Repentance means turning from sin. Turning from sin means obeying the commandments of God. So you can't preach the gospel and say it means continue in your sin because God likes sin. Who likes sin in the Bible? Satan likes sin. I just have to ask you. Go ahead, ask it. <laughs> well, about, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks ago, you were about to say something about the word gospel. Uh huh. meant a little something different than what we think it means. And I've just told you what I was thinking. Most people think when you hear the gospel, all oh, that means that Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected, and that's it. That's the gospel. Is that the whole thing? <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. And then that the word gospel also means flesh or meat. Ah. Isn't that something? The word for gospel in the Old Testament is basar. B A S A R. It's translated in the Old Testament as the good news, etc. It's the same thing as the gospel. The word basar means meat or flesh. So God in heaven took on a body of flesh and blood that he might die for us to redeem us from our sins. So the, not just the, so you're comparing the milk of the word as opposed to the meat? Like yep. Okay, got it. Yeah, milk versus meat. That's a, got it. Hebrews chapter 5 thing. You're welcome. Let us go back to 2 Thessalonians before I forget why we're here. Not that I'm easily misled down Ibex trails, but I am. 
Verse 9. These, the word these refers to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. The gospel includes repenting of your sins and turning and keeping the commandments of God. So those who do not know God don't keep the commandments of God. Yeah, that's what we read in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We could have also gone to many other places, but that was sufficient, I think. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Uh-oh. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I saw a special put on by Catholic theologians this week explaining that the Pope didn't really mean he doesn't believe that there's a hell. But, you know, because he said it. And they're saying, well, that's not what he meant. You know, you've you got to understand he doesn't speak the best English. And what he really meant is that God is such a loving God, he won't allow people to suffer like that forever. What does the Bible say? That word everlasting, but maybe it doesn't mean everlasting. What is that Greek word? Is Ionius. Ionius, Greek word 166. Let's look and see where else it's used in the scriptures to see if we can figure out what it really means. Go to Matthew 18, verse 8. You have a sneaking suspicion it means forever? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Not to give away the ending from the beginning, but God likes to tell us the end from the beginning. Matthew 18, verse 8. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. So Messiah contrasts eternal life with the eternal fire. How long does eternal life last? Matthew 19, verse 16. Using the same word, Matthew 19, 16 says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. What an odd statement. Are we saved by keeping commandments? No. But we only keep commandments if we are saved. It is as 1 John chapter 2 said, the test of whether we know him. Can you truly believe in God and say, he told me not to murder, but well, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway. Do you really believe? Scripture says no. Do I think Messiah understood the nature of his question? Yeah, I think so. Because he was saying, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments as in. If you're trying to do it on your own, you have to keep every commandment perfectly. Right. 
If you want to be saved by keeping commandments, you've got to keep everyone perfectly, and how's that going to work out for you? Not worth the flip. Who's sinned and come short of the glory of God? All of us. But Galatians 3 says it was not meant to be a way of salvation. It's a way for the saved to live a life of righteousness before God. Matthew 19, verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake, my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. These are all the same word, eternal. Same Greek word with the same meaning. Matthew 25. Oh, that's the sheep and goats, isn't it? Yeah, Matthew 25, verses 41 and 46. Matthew 25, verses 41 and 46. 41 says, Then he will say to those on the left hand, those are the unsaved, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. In verse 46, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So if eternal life is forever, what is eternal punishment? Forever. Mark chapter 3, verse 29. Mark chapter 3, verse 29. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. That's the same word. If they never have forgiveness, how long is the condemnation? It's forever. Now look at the book of Jude. Boy, we don't get to go to Jude often, so let's enjoy this one. It's the book right before Revelation. You're asking me what chapter, you're not there yet. Jude. Start in verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, that's how we have Goliath even after the flood. But left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Does that mean that they have fireplaces in their house in heaven? Uh, no, it does not. Jude, verse 21. 
Keep yourselves in the love of God. That means keep on loving God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah unto eternal life. The same word, eternal. Last example, Revelation 14, verse 6. Rachel mentioned that in the wilderness they were preached the gospel just as we are. That's because of Revelation 14 verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the what? Everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. The gospel is how long? Forever. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if the angel is preaching the everlasting gospel to every person, Jew or Gentile, what do they all need to do? To repent. As we go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I want to talk a little bit more about verse 8. In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 14. Galatians 2.14 But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? All this verse is so misunderstood. It goes on to explain what he means. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Yeshua the Messiah, even we have believed in Messiah Yeshua. That we might be justified by faith in Messiah and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. So what is Peter doing that Paul is rebuking him for? He's acting differently when the Jews are around than when they're not. So in Acts chapter 10, Peter received the vision from the Lord, which Peter himself interprets to say, what? God shows no respect to persons. The separation between the Jews and the Gentiles was the commandment of man, not the commandment of God. So here is Peter hanging out with the believing Gentiles. As if we're all one, good buddies, all one in Messiah, until some Jewish brethren come around and then says, Hey, hey, you unclean folks, get away from me. And Paul is saying, you know better than that. You know better than that. 
So how was he violating the gospel? Was he showing love to the Gentile believers when he shuns them and says, you're not good enough to eat with me anymore because my Jewish brethren are here? That's not what the Bible teaches. Go to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. You've got to love Peter. Common fisherman. One of the common people. But when he got saved, he got saved. When Paul rebuked him, he said, got to understand, he repents, he turns, he walks the walk. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Uh-oh, what's Peter saying? Even we who are saved need to be careful and to check ourselves. We can get drawn back into improper actions. Get drawn back into sin in our old ways. It says, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end, the telos? Of those who do not obey the gospel of God. What is their goal? What are they reaching? Are they reaching eternal life who do not obey the gospel of God? It says, now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? What's Peter saying is the opposites here? The righteous one is the opposite of the ungodly and the sinner. Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good in obeying the commandments of God and walking in righteousness as to a faithful creator. So look at Hebrews 4.2. Peter and Hebrews are right there together, right? Pretty close anyway. Hebrews 4.2. This is the verse that Rachel referred to. I want you to put it in your notes. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them being those in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. But the word which they heard did not profit them, meaning it was not useful to them. It didn't accomplish its purpose. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Without faith it's what? Impossible to please God. So all those in Mount Sinai heard the commandments of God, but they didn't have faith enough to live them. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah 66 beginning in verse 14. 
Many people have said to me in my lifetime, Wayne, God could not possibly care what we eat. What caused the fall of mankind? What did they do? They ate something God said not to eat. So we know from the start that it does matter to God what we eat. But people say, yeah, yeah, but that changed in the New Testament. God changed his mind. Does God change? Then he's not God. God does not change his mind, does not change his word. So what does it say in Isaiah 66, 14 to 17? It says, when you see this, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like grass. The next part of the verse tells us who gets blessed and who gets cursed. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. What do servants do to the master? They obey the master. And his indignation, that's his wrath being poured out in the tribulation period to his enemies. Why doesn't God pour his indignation on his servants? First Thessalonians 5 says we're not appointed unto wrath. Right? Verse 15, for behold, the Lord will come with fire. Remember Revelation 19, his eyes are like a flame of fire, judgment. With his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury. The word anger is an interesting word. It's also the Hebrew word for what? Nose. It's the word nose. Hmm. Think of the horse with the nostrils flaring. He's about to stomp you into eternity. That's the picture. It's a word picture. God's nostrils are flaring in anger. He is so mad. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all Jews, right? Oh, all flesh, meaning everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. And the slain of the Lord shall be many. This is an Armageddon when the Lord returns. Who dies when Messiah returns? Look at verse 17. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst. That's idolatry. Who are people worshiping in the tribulation period? The false Messiah and the Satan who dwells in him. Eating swine's flesh. What's a swine? It's a pig. And the abomination. That's all those unclean things in Leviticus chapter 11. In which God says, if you eat them, you become abominable in the eyes of God. And the mouse. Who would eat a mouse? Well, that includes squirrels and etc. Shall be consumed together, says the Lord. When the Lord returns, he's going to slay the people doing these things. Does that mean it's now okay to eat them? Quite the opposite. The people that eat the unclean things are lumped in the same group as idolaters because God said, thou shalt not do it. Someone else said, oh, you need to do it. And who do they obey? Man, not God. That's idolatry. It's the same thing in God's eyes. And then in the same chapter, verse 24, and then I will get off this soapbox, I promise. I won't stay off it, but I'll get off. I will start in verse 22 for context. 
For as the new heavens and the new earth which I shall make shall remain before me, says the Lord. That just sets the time. How long will the new heavens and new earth remain? Forever and ever without end. In Hebrew you say, le'olam va'ed. So shall your descendants and your name remain, referring to Israel. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, who's going to come worship? All flesh. For eternity, all flesh will come and keep Shabbat with the Lord. All flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. These are down in the lake of fire, burning forever and ever. For their worm does not die. It doesn't mean worm. It means their essence. And their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. That's Isaiah 66, verse 24. Their essence does not die, and their fire is not quenched, which means they live eternally in the lake of fire. How many of you today have been burned? We all have, right? Such a loving and joyful experience, you want it again and again, right? Oh, no. No, no. You get badly burned. Anybody want to see the scars on my left foot? You get burned like that, you never want to get burned again. Imagine being cast into the lake of fire. There is no ibuprofen. There is no cold water. There is no relief and there is no exit sign. So how do we avoid going there? We love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. Yeah, we be his servant and not his enemy. Because notice how much time was spent talking about if you're my enemy, this is going to happen. Yeah, and if you're my servant, just a little bit. My hand, my hand of protection, my blessing. You're good, but, but boy, here's what happens to the enemy. And notice there's no third category. You're his servant or you're his enemy. That's just the bottom line. Back to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. We're probably not going to get through 2 Thessalonians today, but we'll keep going until time runs out. Verse 10. we got to back up to verse 9 so we don't start in the middle of a sentence, though. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Is that what we just read in Isaiah 66, 24? It most certainly is. From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day. What day? Day of the Lord. That was Zechariah 14. It's Revelation 19. Joel chapter 2. All kinds of scriptures describe his return, his second coming. To be glorified in his saints. What is the word saint there? Hagios. That's Revelation 14, 12. They are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. It's not an either or. And to be admired among all those who believe. Those who believe are the saints. Why are they saints? Because they believe. Because of their faith. So because our testimony among you was believed. Let's go to Matthew 7. Some of these verses we may look at quickly because we may have already seen them. 
But Matthew chapter 7. Verse 22. Just verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, What day? Day of the Lord. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? None of those are bad things. None of those are bad things. They're just not what God commanded us to do. Luke chapter... What? What about in chapter 10 over here? Where when he sent the disciples out, uh, uh, verse 8, where it said, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Yeah, he commanded the disciples that he sent out two by two. Is yeah. that a commandment to you and me? No. Okay. So I didn't say they're bad things. Well, I, I agree. They're I just agree. not what he commanded but, you so and I to do. That's one of the things I have to unlearn. Okay. You know, because, you know, that's been taught, you know, that if you're going to be a disciple, then you're going to have to go out and do these things. Ah, yeah. They should read Matthew 7 again. So Luke chapter 6. And you're going to say, he's taking me to verse 46, but says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, not do the things which I say? But no, that's not the verse. It's verse 23. Luke chapter 6, verse 23. Rejoice in that day. So what are we looking at right now? What do we mean by in that day? It's the day of the Lord. And leave for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. When do we get to heaven and receive our rewards? It's in Revelation chapter 4. It's in the day of the Lord. So that's what we mean by in that day. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Go to Luke ten twelve. Luke ten twelve. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day. What day? Day of the Lord. For Sodom than for that city. The cities that saw Messiah's great miracles, heard his great sermons in preaching the gospel, and yet rejected him. It'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Ooh. Luke chapter 17, verse 31. In that day, he was on the housetop, and his goods are in the house, and so not come down to take them away. What day are we talking about? This is the tribulation period in the day of the Lord. Talking about when you see the abomination of desolation. And notice it goes on here to say, And likewise, the one who's in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife actually left Sodom and Gomorrah, but then what? Turned right, 
turned back. She longed for what she was leaving. Even as the fire was falling, she was longing to go back. John 16, starting verse 22, and we're almost done. Well, it took two of his daughters, but it doesn't say there weren't other children. There may have been other children. Yeah. That's going to be the hardest thing, is leaving the children behind. If we can't persuade them to go with us. John 16, verse 22. I digress for just a moment. I think the COVID jabs were kind of a test to see what it would take people to do to take the shot when they didn't want it. And I saw a lot of people who said, well, if I don't take the shot, then I can't go to my kid's birthday party. I can't go to this school activity and et cetera, et cetera. I'll, I'll lose my job. I can't go to work. Or we can't open the church doors. So in the tribulation period, when it comes to the mark of the beast, what are we going to, let's just not be here. At a certain point in time. John 16, 22. Let's finish this up. Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. What's he talking about when he will see us again? He's talking about in the kingdom. In the kingdom, our hearts will rejoice, and no one can take that joy from us. And in that day, again, it's referring to the kingdom. You will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. In other words, we won't need an intermediary anymore. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. And last verse, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Timothy comes right after Thessalonians, doesn't it? Second Timothy 1, verse 18. The Lord grant him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So Paul is blessing the, the gentleman and praying that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. Which means being accepted into the messianic kingdom. With that, we'll bring the Bible study to a close. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 11.